1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
2: Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show. And I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.
1: Hi, this is Annie.
2: And this is Bridget.
1: And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we're going to talk about women throughout history pretending to be men. And this came up in response to our video games episode, where I mentioned that a lot of women pretend to be men online to avoid harassment or choose a, a general, a gender-neutral-sounding avatar name. And I didn't realize until some listeners wrote in how common this practice has been Throughout history, minus the video game part, the pretending <laughs> the pretending to be men to avoid harassment or or to achieve something part. Um, and just an aside, because I am a Marvel geek, this is about Thor and Loki. Okay, <laughs> so stick with me. Um, Thor and Loki pretended to be women in Norse mythology, as a ploy to get back Mjolnir, and that's Thor's hammer, of course. And the hammer kidnapper wants a lady in exchange, but said lady says, hell no. So Thor pretends to be her, with Loki pretending to be her handmaid. And the kidnapper was surprised to see his bride, a.k.a. Thor, eat enough for 30 men. And Loki explains it away as excitement. (laughs) And then Thor kills everyone. Anyway, that's a literature example of men pretending to be women that I just thought was so. Uh, I had to share it because um, I am a big Marvel because fan. Because you're
2: a because you're a geek. Oh, thanks, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say that with love as a fellow geek. You are very lovingly a geek. One of my um, first
1: roles, because uh, I I do I have done some acting in my day, and one of my first roles was as. Uh, cow number one on Noah's Ark, and I was the male cow. <laughs> and I had like a big, like bull ring thing in my nose, and, you know, was this when you were a child or an adult? This was like two weeks ago. Oh <laughs> no, no, I was a child. But there's a very embarrassing picture of me having the time of my life, I must say, but dressed as a male cow. <laughs> okay. So before we get started, um, we did want to include a disclaimer here. We're specifically looking at historical examples of women pretending to be men and pretending to, as a way to accomplish a dream or to achieve an occupation, aspiration, or to overcome an obstacle, or for self-protection, basically doing it because being a woman was was. It wasn't allowed at that time, whatever it was they were trying to go after. Or it was very difficult. And some people were going to talk about possibly did identify as men. Um, history can get really murky around that, and we haven't been really great throughout, throughout our history about using the correct pronouns for people or even having language around various gender identities. Uh, we, we did try to be thorough. Some, some names were on the list and then got removed because we think we should do deeper dives or full episodes on them. Um, we, we did our best, but history is not always the
2: best at that. <laughs> A great disclaimer. I'm glad that you added it. Um, so let's get started, shall we? Art and sports. Women pretending to be men happened all the time in Shakespeare, and it's made all the more confusing by the fact that women weren't even allowed to act in plays during that time. So men playing women pretended to be men. Wrap your head around that. Yeah. <laughs> Seven out of 38 plays featured women pretending to be men, most of the time for safety because traveling alone as a woman wasn't safe. And you know what? Things really have not changed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of wish...
1: There's a part of me that kind, kind of wants to see a play done in this manner because I do think it would be so confusing to have a character that... The character is a woman... And the woman in the play is pretending to be a man, but only men could play women.
2: <laughs> oh, that's like that movie. Um, Some like it hot?: No, a much trashier example. <laughs> the movie where um, the woman from my big fat Nia Vardalos, the woman from my big fat Greek wedding, she is a woman, but she wants to compete as a drag queen, so she sort of is a woman pretending to be a man pretending to be a woman i forget the name of the movie it was not it was not a big success but
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay well, uh, well we'll look into that later um fictional female characters aren't the only ones doing this female authors were too and and in some cases still are like charlotte brontë for her first works in the 1800s she used the more gender neutral name of cur bell She used this pen name in the first edition of Jane Eyre, and her sisters did the same thing. Charlotte said outright that she did it because female authors were, quote, liable to be looked upon with prejudice.
2: Mary Ann Evans published works under her pen name George Eliot so as to avoid criticism and stereotypes about her work.
1: And Dorothy Lucille Tipton, when she was young, she knew she wanted to be a musician and became adept at playing the piano and saxophone. To open more avenues for herself, she started performing under her father's name, Billy Tipton, while dressed as a man, and eventually adopted the name full-time and the appearance full-time. Billy went on tour and went on to form the Billy Tipton Trio, um, and she found a long-term partner, female partner, and adopted three children.
2: Wow. Um... This is—I'm familiar with Billy Tipton. This is the—I did not know—this is new information to me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, always
1: always looking to enlighten in any way that I can. And then in sports, um, in 1959, Rina Kanakoji dressed as a man so she could compete in the New York YMCA Judo Tournament, and she won. When the judges found out she was actually a woman, they took back her medal— So, Kanakoji went to Japan, where she became Tokyo's Kodokan Institute's first female student to train with the men. She later became the founder of the world's first female world judo championship, held in Madison Square Garden in New York. She was also integral in getting female judo added as an Olympic event. To me, this sounds like the ultimate revenge (laughs) story. They took back her medal, so she went to (laughs) Japan— And then started her own, own championship held
2: at Madison Square Garden. They need to make this into a movie because I would definitely watch it. hmm <laughs> That actually sounds a lot like the story of Catherine Switzer, who pretended to be a man to enter the 1967 Boston Marathon, which was a males-only event at the time. She went on to win the New York City Marathon in 1974. So basically when you force a woman to pretend to be a man to compete equally, and then you you know, don't let her win or whatever. She goes on to do great things and achieve great glory. That's, just, that's the moral of this story, it sounds like.
1: Well, I can say that um, one of my best motivators is <laughs> revenge. <laughs> I can be quite vindictive. But it, it, it's, it's good for, um, I don't know if it's the healthiest motivator, but it is a good motivator.
2: But it certainly
1: is effective. <laughs> If we look at more modern day times, um, J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter books, in case you're unfamiliar, she went by her initials at the behest of her publisher who told her she'd sell more books, especially to young boys, if people thought she was a man.
2: I tried the same thing when I was doing a lot more writing on the internet. I thought that if I wrote under my first initial, that people would... I don't know. I think, I think I, at the time, it was sort of the highlight of like women getting a lot of trolling for writing online, and I sort of didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with that at the time, but I still wanted to write. So I thought if I did that, it would help. Um, and I also thought it would take, people would take me more seriously. Obviously, I was never as big as J.K. Rowling, but <laughs> I can understand the sentiment for sure. Not yet, Bridget. There's Not time. yet. Maybe when I publish my wizard novel, you'll, you'll all be sorry. Uh, In the early 2000s, feminist lesbian journalist Nora Vincent took vocal lessons and pretended to be Ned Vincent for 18 months, even joining a bowling league to investigate whether or not she'd be treated differently as a man.
1: Yeah, I read all about this when doing the research for, for this episode because I'd never heard about it before. And it was kind of sweet because she said in the bowling league specifically, that they didn't treat her any differently like um they were it was just a group of a group of guys that weren't doing this what we hear a lot that men are talking about like just women and having sex but it was just a fun time and then when she revealed like I'm actually this this journalist who is a a woman
2: they're like oh wow cool you still want to be in our polling league. sounds like a real strike for gender equality oh yes
1: <laughs> We could acknowledge be, my joke, please. We could be a comedy duo. <laughs> we would take the world by storm.
2: I know people are out there rolling their eyes and groaning. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. Uh,
1: so those are our, our big examples in the in the world of art and sports. But we have uh, we have many many more examples. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The
0: all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So now let's look at the world of religion and politics, some other professions in there. There are a lot of examples in religion But one of the big ones uh, is St. Marina. In the 8th century CE, Marina pretended to be a boy so she could go with her father to a male-only monastery. She became a monk under the name of Marinus, and even when she or he, because this is one case where I wasn't— I was never quite clear if she or he identified as Marina or Marinus, uh, was falsely accused of impregnating an innkeeper's daughter— um, she did not reveal her secret. She raised the child after being kicked out of the monastery, and she was forced to beg for money, and she died without anyone knowing.
2: Wow. My favorite examples of these are when it's, it's successful and, like, it's not discovered until much later, or they get, they, you know, they win, whatever the thing is or are trying to win. Take, for instance, 1809. The family of Margaret Ann Bulky conspired to make some money by disguising their daughter as James Barry and enrolling her in medical school, because yes, back then, women were not allowed. She passed her surgeon's exam and became a medic in the British Army. She worked her way up to principal medical officer serving in India and South Africa, where she performed one of the best C-sections ever on record and the first successful one by a British surgeon in Africa. She pushed for sanitations in hospitals and improved military hospitals until she died of dysentery in 1865. The British Army kept her record sealed for a century.
1: Yeah, that one, um, again, we could do a, a whole episode devoted to, to that story. I mean, it's like a movie. It is. So many of these could be turned into movies. I mean, call us up. Not that we have, like, any <laughs> rights to anything. But, I mean, you
2: know. I would want to I mean, call us up and invite us to go see it when it's made. Oh, yes. yes. I will say my favorite Disney movie to this day is about this very this very thing, Mulan. And we will be
1: talking about Mulan. But first, we're going to talk about Charlotte Parkhurst, who, in order to get out of an orphanage and to be able to support herself, started going by Charlie Parkhurst and introducing herself as male in the 19th century. She learned how to drive horses, and she moved out west and got a job as a stagecoach driver. And she was good at it, too. She had a reputation. And... In 1868, she became the first woman to vote in California when she cast a ballot in the presidential election. It wasn't until she died of tongue cancer in 1979 that her secret came out.
2: Okay, so shout out to Mary Anderson. The New York politician Murray Hall, who had been practicing politics for 25 years, died in 1901. It was discovered that he was actually a she, Mary Anderson. Mary had been smoking cigars and drinking whiskey with the boys for years. She voted, which, just a reminder, women could not do at that time. Unfortunately, she died of breast cancer, which she refused to seek treatment for to not give away her identity.
1: Yeah. Um, I read a lot of fun accounts of, of her at the drinking, <laughs> drinking saloons. There weren't saloons at that time. But, yeah, smoking these cigars. And I think, I think she was gambling and playing card games. And, because that was what it was expected at the time. That was a very male like, dominated world where you would go do these things as part of the job is to, like, make connections and stuff, so.
2: Yeah, have you ever seen the movie The Associate? I have not. Okay, so the plot of The Associate is basically the plot of every movie where a woman disguises themselves as a man. It's the 80s. Whoopi Goldberg is this smart, single woman trying to make it in Wall Street and kind of climb the corporate ladder, but she feels like she keeps getting passed over because she's a woman, so she becomes... Mr. David Cuddy, which is her like male identity. <laughs> and Diane Weiss is in it and it's full of hijinks. That's like every movie. Um, another one is One of the Guys, which is terrible, but also awesome, where it's a female, like a high school female journalist who pretends to be a guy because she wants to get a journalism scholarship or some such nonsense. Uh, I actually, there's like a, I feel like there's an entire genre of women pretending to be men to get some sort of career advancement. And hijinks ensue. You know, I feel like that's a, that's a whole thing. Hijinks ensue indeed.
1: Um, well, you're always adding to my, the movies that I need to watch
2: to get caught
1: up in pop culture. I mean,
2: just one of the guys is not a good movie, but if you're like hungover on a Saturday, perfect.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll put that in the back pocket. Let's move on to, to war and to I- explorers. Because women pretending to be men to participate in war has been a fairly common practice throughout history. And we're going to start with Mulan.
2: Yay! <laughs> I'm sorry, the- I, love, I love Mulan. It's the best Disney movie. It's so good. The soundtrack still slaps to this day. To this day, if I have to get work done, I listen to that one song. Um, is it Be a Man? That's my favorite. Oh, Be a Man is good. Um, I also feel like if you hear the, if you hear the phrase... Let's get down to to business. business. You can't think anything other than to defeat the Huns, right?
1: (laughs) It's impossible. It's impossible.
2: Anyway, let's get down to business and talk about Mulan.
1: Yeah, because Disney did not invent this story. They definitely expounded upon it. (laughs) Um, You mean there's no talking dragon in real life? Well, I can't say for sure I wasn't there. Um, It's based on a poem that goes all the way back to 6th century C.E., from The Ballad of Mulan. Quote, Her comrades are all amazed and perplexed. Traveling together for 12 years, they didn't know Mulan was a girl. The he-hair's feet go hop and skip. The she-hair's eyes are muddled and fuddled. Two hairs running side by side, close to the ground. How can they tell if I am he or she? And I think from that, Disney made a whole movie. Maybe there's more
2: I'm hey, aware top- of. Talk about extrapolating into something great, right? <laughs> Sweden actually has their own version of this story with Elisa Bernenström. During the Finnish War with Sweden in 1808 and 1809, Elisa pretended to be a man, undeterred by the Swedish army's no-women-allowed policy of the time. She found her way to her husband in Stockholm and stayed with him where she served in the Queen's regime. When she was discovered, her service was commended. So this, again, this is like an like a example where... She does a good thing, and people are like, yay, we're glad you did this.
1: Yeah. Britta Hagberg did the same thing in 1778 during the Russo-Swedish War, posing as a man so she could join the Swedish army and find her husband. She refused treatment when she was injured, but was found out anyway. Instead of punishment, she was rewarded for her courage, and she found her husband.
2: And of course, no conversation about women pretending to be men in the military is complete without discussing Joan of Arc. In the 15th century, Joan of Arc took on a male persona to protect her virginity and to lead the French army during the Hundred Year War. She was captured, revealed, and burned at the stake for heresy at age 19.
1: At age 19. I feel like I always forget how young she was. Yeah, can you imagine? Uh, No, not really. (laughs) Not really. There's a pretty good... uh... Drunk history about this whole thing from a forever ago, I'm sure, but I remember, I remember that episode pretty well. Um, we have the story of Hannah Snell. After her infant daughter died and her husband deserted her, Hannah took on the identity of James Gray and went in search of her husband. When she learned he had been executed, she joined the Royal Marines and went to battle twice— She didn't reveal herself to anyone until after her and her shipmates returned to England. And she managed to secure a military pension, which was really rare. I mean, I guess obviously, because not too many women were in the military. Um, And she opened a pub appropriately called the Female Warrior. Oh, I love that. I'd go to a pub called the Female Warrior. I wonder if it's still open. (laughs)
2: Listeners, let us know if you don't. There's also pirates. That's right. Pirates, Anne Bonnie and Mary Read. Now, just keep in mind, the stories of the early lives of both of these ladies are highly speculative. Most of the information comes from one source, thought by some to be penned by the pseudonym of Daniel Defoe. Okay, so let's start with Anne Bonney.
1: She was born in Ireland in 1698, and she was the baby of an affair between her father and his former wife, who left after this incident their maid. (laughs) Supposedly, he dressed her as a boy and introduced her as a child in his care to avoid any scandal. However, scandal could not be escaped and the family moved to South Carolina. She became a bit of a fryer cracker, and Bonnie did after her mother died, allegedly killing a servant girl and a man who tried to rape her. Her father believed her behavior was hurting his business, so he disowned her and she went on to marry James Bonnie, who was a poor sailor. She didn't really settle down though, keeping up her rebellious behavior, spending a lot of her time sleeping with a bunch of fellas and a lot of her time drinking. One suitor particularly enraptured her and she left behind her husband and joined his crew. One tale suggests that her first act as a pirate was standing over a mannequin smeared with fake blood, limbs all twisted up and an ax overhead And that seeing this, a passing French ship gave up their cargo, no question. When one of her crew members talked some trash about her, she stabbed him in the heart. While on the ship, she dressed as a woman, but when in battle, she dressed as a man. According to a few sources, the ship Bonnie was on possibly conquered the ship that Mary Reed, a woman dressed as a man, was sailing on. Bonnie attempted to seduce Reed, but Reed confided to Bonnie that she was a woman and the two became friends
2: and possibly lovers. I love this story so much. So Mary Reed was born after the death of her father and baby brother, a baby who her mother's mother-in-law had been financially supporting. Anxious to keep the payments coming, Reed's mother got pregnant with Mary and disguised her as her dead son to keep the stipend, which is a pretty good scam if I may say so myself. But the mother-in-law figured it out pretty soon and the payments stopped. Her mom continued dressing her as a boy because she thought that she would have a better time getting work as a servant. She joined the army of Flanders, where she fell in love with her bunkmate and told him her secret. She quit the army and married the man, but he died shortly after. So she went back to being a man and joined the ship's crew, which was overtaken by the ship Bonnie was on. Reed was ruthless, loud, brash, and prone to cursing, so nobody suspected a thing. And you can see how these
1: two would be... Close friends. It sounds like they have similar personalities. Bonnie and Reed went into battles together and fought alongside each other. One observer said of them they were, quote, willing to do anything. One night, when most of the crew was drunk and or asleep, one of the governor's ships approached and ordered the pirate ship to surrender. The captain agreed, but Bonnie and Reed refused and attacked. Reed shouted to the men hiding below deck, "'If there's a man among ye, you'll come up and fight like the man ye are to be.'" And no one answered. But uh, she shot at her own crew in response and killed one. Eventually, the two women were captured. The captain, Bonnie's lover, was sentenced to hanging, and when his request to see her one last time was granted, the last thing she said to him was, quote, "'If you had fought like a man,' you need not have been hanged like a dog. That is cold. It is so cold. Bonnie and Reed were also sentenced to hang, but were both granted a stay because both of them were pregnant. Reed died a year later, but Bonnie was released and went on to get married and have kids. Yeah, speculation or not, those are pretty amazing stories. Oh
2: my God, if you were casting this as a movie, who would you cast as Bonnie and Reed? (laughs) Ooh,
1: Oh, I don't know who's a who's a firecracker in Hollywood. What 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 do you think, Bridget?
2: Um. Oh God, what a question. Um, <laughs> I would love to see. Um, can I say I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up. I'm gonna go Cardi B, Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? Yes. Or like, um, Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish would be good. <laughs> That would oh, be funny.
1: Wouldn't that be funny? Interesting. Um, yeah, I, if anyone
2: I'm has, thinking of it as a comedy.
1: <laughs> you, you clearly are. I mean, it's comedic. There, are, Or it could be read that way. I suppose it's not. I, I'm assuming there's a lot of speculation in here, um, which is, makes it easier to laugh at. But um, perhaps not. Perhaps not. If anyone has any ideal casting, please send a our way we'd love to <laughs> love to cast this
2: also nobody steal our idea this is I don't know what the copyright issue is whatever we're co- this is gonna be a Bridget Annie production no one <laughs> we're gonna this, no one steal this idea you can't have it it's ours I'm pretty sure that's,
1: that's how it works it's like <laughs> the law of dibs or something
2: if you say dibs on a podcast that's legally binding
1: yeah that, that's what I understand maybe we should do a production of it Bridget oh, oh my god <laughs> Okay, we got to move on and we're getting way off track here. Um, We do have some more war stories for you, but first we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: So during the Revolutionary War, Deborah Sampson joined the army under the name Robert Shirtleff, and she served for two years undertaking dangerous missions and treating her own injuries to avoid discovery, including digging out a pistol ball from her own leg. When she was found out, she was honorably discharged and became the first and only woman to receive military pension for this war. She also became the first woman to go touring, presenting hour-long lectures about her experiences, sometimes in military dress. After her death, her husband successfully petitioned Congress to receive payment as the spouse of a soldier. In their decision, Congress said history, quote, furnished no other similar example of female heroism, fidelity, and courage. I would have been at that tour,
2: man. (laughs) Wow. Again, it seems like when women do this... A lot of the stories end with them doing a great job and, it, and like, it being accepted as a, as a heroic thing. I wonder how many women either
1: never got caught or whose stories we don't hear as often because they aren't as, um, I don't want to say upbeat, but, you know, inspirational. Or...
2: Yeah, it didn't, it didn't end with, right. like, an award and, like, a, a lecture circuit or something. Yeah. That brings us to the Civil War, where over 400 women posed as men to serve, here are just a few. During the Civil War, Melinda Blaylock pretended to be a man named Samuel to enlist in the war and join up with her husband, which she did. And the couple went on to desert their posts and became scouts for the Union.
1: Canadian Sarah Edmonds also joined the Union during the American Civil War, disguised as a man, and she served as both field nurse and spy. She didn't check in to a hospital when she contracted malaria to protect her identity but when she got better, she went back to being Sarah Edmonds and worked as a hospital nurse.
2: Jenny Irene Hodgers became Albert Cashier to enlist as a soldier under Ulysses S. Grant during the Civil War and fought over 40 battles. She was captured but was able to overpower her guard and escape before she was discovered. She did not drop her Albert Cashier persona after the war and took on all sorts of professions. She drew a veteran's pension and voted. In 1910, she was hit by a car and broke her leg. But she convinced the doctor not to tell anybody. As old age eroded her mental state, she moved into a retirement home for soldiers, and her caretakers found out that she was a woman. Now, she had to wear a dress for the rest of her life, but she was buried in her military dress. After her death, two tombstones were erected, one for Albert Cashier and one later with both names when she was traced back to Jenny Hodgers.
1: And then there's Cathay Williams, who was born a slave in 1844 Missouri. When the Union came and occupied the state, slaves were seen as contraband and required to serve in the army in support positions like Cook, which Williams did before she took on the name of William Cathay at the age of 17 and enlisted voluntarily, the first African American woman to do so. Several bouts of illnesses revealed that she was in fact a woman and she was honorably discharged but she wasn't done. She joined the all-black regiment, the Buffalo Soldiers, the only known woman to do so. But she was denied pension payments. That's awful. Yeah, these, that one is sad and this, this next one is a little... <laughs> Spoiler, it's a little of a downer.
2: Yeah, it's a little sad. With the help of two male soldiers, teenager Dorothy Lawrence pretended to be Private Dennis Smith during World War I, with the ultimate goal of reporting on what was happening from the front lines. She landed a job as a royal engineer and laid mines on the front lines, but grew worried that the men that helped her would get in trouble if she was discovered and confessed. The British Army interrogated her to make sure she wasn't a German spy. Now, once they determined that she wasn't, they sent her home and made her sign an affidavit to ensure that she wouldn't tell anybody because they didn't want other ladies getting ideas. This meant she couldn't get any work, and even when she told her story at the war's conclusion, the war office censored much of it. She was institutionalized at an insane asylum where she died in 1964. That's yeah. That's a bummer. We <laughs> we
1: ended we we ended the episode on a bummer because that is um, all of the names that that were on our list,
2: and she never even got to tell her a story. Really,
1: I know. Um, and it's an amazing story. So many of the of these things we've talked about are stories that deserve to be told, and that we really could have made entire episodes about. Um, it's. It's quite amazing. <laughs> I'm always surprised, and I shouldn't be, but history, history has so many stories that are fascinating. <laughs> Hollywood couldn't do it better, one of my professors said once.
2: Absolutely. These stories read like something out of a fascinating novel. It just goes to show our, our history can be pretty interesting. Absolutely. If there is anyone that we
1: left out or anyone you would like for us to expound upon— Listeners, please write in. Please write in with your ideal casting for any of these. We'd love to hear that as well. Um, and that brings us to listener mail. Sam wrote I listen to Sminty every week and have been fascinated by some of the emails you have read about the name change podcast, as well as the comments on the Facebook page. I noticed two disturbing paradigms emerging in them. The first is the belief that all members of a family having an identical surname means that the family is more, quote, cohesive or more of a unit. I find this idea to be anti-blended family. As someone raised by a step-parent from the age of seven, I have experienced this bias for the majority of my life. The second disturbing paradigm emerging in these emails is that men own names and women do not. For example, I have often heard women say, well, my last name is just my father's name, so I'll take my husband's. Why does the husband in this scenario own his name while the woman is merely borrowing hers from her father? A more internally consistent sentence would read, my last name is just my father's name, so I will take my father-in-law's name. But I'm sure you can see that that sentence sounds off. The second paradigm is epitomized in the idea that a woman should, quote, change back after a divorce as if she were just borrowing the name from her husband. Although it is interesting and worthwhile to listen to different women's experiences, framing this topic as being about individual women's choices obscures the more insidious ideologies that pervade our society. And I thought this was so, such a great email um, because it's true. It, I, um, on one side of my family, there is a lot of, <laughs> there's so many different names, um, but they, they are definitely a cohesive family unit. And I, I, I understand the like ease factor for sure, um, but I think it is worth looking into why we we feel this way and just, like, on a deeper level, what has influenced this whole idea of um, women changing their names.
2: Definitely. And I, I, I've said this a hundred times. Every time I get another letter, it makes me— it adds another wrinkle to the conversation. And I just—this conversation is so nuanced and there's so many different reasons why, why not, complications— misconceptions just uh, yeah we have to do that episode where we just read these letters because it's there's so many and i as a non-married person sort of didn't realize what a fraught issue this is for so many of us
1: yeah i didn't either and it's it's been really fascinating and it's such a
2: complex issue it really is definitely megan wrote I love the podcast, and I have to say it is always a joy when there's a new episode. Thank you, Megan. I wanted to respond to your discussion on Brett Kavanaugh. Mainly, I would like to share two pieces of advice I've received over the years about contacting senators. I've met a few people who have been on the receiving end of those phone calls to congressional offices. Like you both said about people being more likely to call if given a script, the interns I know at various offices agree that people who may be using a script and personal reasons for a position are what makes for a compelling case that is more likely to gain a senator's attention. Along with this, scripts can be handy to avoid going off tangents, prevent any disrespect, and to stay on message. While some say that scripts may seem insincere, my friends who have received these calls are more likely to pay attention if you are succinct, clear, and respectful. Anyway, I thought I would share my two cents regarding calling senators. Um, Thank you, Megan. As someone who has also fielded these calls, I completely agree. I know the advice I gave was that if you're a little bit anxious or don't know what to say, having a script can help. But even if you just tack on a quick personal reason to the end of that script, that can be good too. But as Megan said, the main thing is that you want to stay clear, succinct, and respectful. As y'all know from this podcast, I am a talker, I will go off on a tangent, I will bring up a random movie, I will, (laughs) you know, that the person on the other end of the call will be exhausted by me and would like hang up in the middle of the conversation, if not for my script. So Megan, you are. Very accurate. Thank you for writing in.
1: Yeah, and I, I think from the the scripts that I've used, usually there's a there's a space. Like, if you would like to insert personal story, do so here, but keep it quick. Like, because you also want other people to be able to get through too. And um, yeah, I'll definitely like my mind will go totally blank if I don't have something in front of me on the phone. I like, this is true. When I call my mom, I write down like bullet points.
2: <laughs> oh, when I call for a pizza, I have I have a script written out.
1: Because <laughs> you never know what your, your brain's going to do and you want to be prepared. Um, so yes, thanks to... Both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com.
2: And you can always find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuff mom Never told you.
1: And thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. So here's something that some of you might find shocking.